now recording. <laughs> All right, uh, you had your fucking boy, intro. Are you gonna do it, or is you, boy, you want me to do mine? No boy, I'm no chef, but fuck. <laughs> man, <I'm, laughs> man, I'm no chef, but boy, are these hoes hurting my feelings? <laughs> Welcome back to the Five of Swords, the podcast that makes you ask the hard hitting questions like, why do I have a third testicle? Why is Bow in Michigan? And what the fuck is on? fucking nick's left butt cheek uh today we decided These are terrible questions first well, off but my rule was much better here's where because i didn't think of the questions these were off God the fucking it. dome you fucking this is why fuck. you write it out no never yes. never write it out mr why? Fuck you. oh sam God. why did your brain go to my left butt cheek what what because what? i was thinking about that before we were recording i'm sorry <laughs> we can recut it if it wasn't satisfactory for you daddy i'm sorry <laughs> next <laughs> time it needs to be the right much this, this episode i was calling bow daddy but okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> mr dietrich mr lay this episode this episode uh we decided that in lieu of precept season starting we would have a little precept like the sword art online one uh, but this time, instead of, you know, having it be one contained precept, it would be sort of a series of precepts, depending on how y'all receive this. But in deciding what we would have a precept on, with the current political uh, climate, we decided what better than space politics. So we're talking about the phantom fucking menace. Take it away, Paul. You had your opening question. Yeah, um, there's actually a really controversial uh, controversial in the Star Wars community, uh, part of the Phantom Menace, and that is the introduction of midichlorians as the sort of way that Jedi interact with the Force, making it a kind of... Uh, midichlorians, as Qui-Gon Jinn tells Anakin, <clears throat> are microscopic life forms that whisper to the Jedi and tell them the will of the Force. Uh, a lot of people didn't like this, because it sort of removes the idea that anybody can be a Jedi, that the Force isn't a, uh, a skill that you can learn and build, but something you're inherently born with. Um, but for the time being, and for my question, I'd like to entertain uh, Lucas in this idea uh, that Qui-Gon... Um, wh what was that? Yeah, I, I sort of had a theory about that. Um, I can share it with you guys if you don't mind. Um, so he says that, you know, it, it's microscopic life forms, right? So what if they're just germs and everyone else was just too clean to have a high enough count, but the boy Anakin is a slave boy, therefore he, he, he rarely bathes himself and... <laughs> That's why he has such a high count. Okay, so that's a fascinating theory, but I thought that midichlorians exist in all living things, so wouldn't that make everybody dirty? Yeah, but with different levels of dirty, Max. You have to be this filthy motherfucker to be yes. a Jedi, that's what you're saying. Yeah, okay. is nasty. <laughs> Panpsychism is dumb. Suck my dick, Spinoza, and fuck you, Lucas. This has been the Five of Swords. We're gonna see you next week. Well, that was a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all want to do the second horror lemon now? Then? No. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, I guess if we're going with Mr. Lay's germ theory, uh, you do see in the movie 
that the Jedi who are able to... Why is somebody moving upstairs? The Jedi are able to... They're, they're like their own social class that seems to be above everybody or I guess detached from everybody. And you can take that multiple ways. Could they be untouchables in a sense? Like they're, they're because they have this like mark or they're able to... They're in tune with the Force because of this unique genetic trait, I guess. Or is it because they're actually the opposite of dirty now? They're too clean for the streets. So, so Wait, I just how does don't, that work I don't understand how theory. this computes into Mr. Lay's theory. Shut the fuck up. All right, it. you know what? You know what? Maybe, what? maybe you guys just roll with it. Fuck maybe it. you need to <laughs> Mr. No. Dietrich. No, God damn. we gotta cut that. It's gotta go. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to take it like you were saying that like they were dirty, right? And I was like, maybe it's because they're actually too clean because societally Jedi are sort of revered as these like warrior protectors. And I thought that there is a way that we could tie the two together if we're treating midi chlorians apparently like fucking just mud pies that you can eat. Okay, so then that that leads me to to a question that seems kind of important, in that um, it's like uh, so if he add like why did he add them then? Like we we might not we might be able debating like what they are, but like what do they add to the universe like context story wise that wasn't already there? That was actually the second part of my question, um, but I didn't finish it because it was completely interrupted by. <laughs> Um, so what was that was not in reference to, um, the Medicorians, but, but to the gunshots. Um, yeah. So there's this theme in the Phantom Menace of a symbiotic relationship, or it's, uh, maybe it's not as strong as a theme, but it's a motif that appears first when Obi-Wan says it to Boss Nas, not Oda Gunga. Shut the fuck up, Paul. <laughs> I confused the two once in front of fucking one of my other classmates before math, and you won't ever fucking let me live this shit down. Um, also, Qui-Gon mentions it to Anakin when he's explaining the Midichlorians, and then again, Queen Amidala reaffirms this sort of relationship with the Gungans and the Naboo. So I was wondering if it's added into the story to sort of enhance this, maybe an idea of harmony between living beings. In the Star Wars universe. So what would the harmony be then? If like uh if only so few get to experience anything. Like is it like so are you saying it's like makes like the universe one whole like living organism then? Is that your point here? Yeah, everything connected by the living force. Just like that, we're back to Spinoza. Oh, I mean fuck. again, I say that because like I said that joke. Because Lucas took very, very direct inspiration from Spinoza to make like the concept of the Force, which is why I think Mr. Rosenberger is pointing out that it seems a little bit weird to 180 into it being this like actual entity that allows you to do these things as opposed to some collective conscious will that has been around forever as long as sentience has existed. So, so I think that this is like a really interesting discussion, but it's kind of taking us a little, a little bit far away from the text itself at this point. Like, I think that midi are like a central idea. 
I think that like there's a lot more to the text than just like kind of religious basis of it. Like I'm really curious as to like kind of use this that patented silence technique. Hang on, I'm still practicing, but um, please don't break my ankles. But uh, so why do a why in like the the invasion right? Why is there no why why is it like why do they not recognize that the Gungans have intelligence and more importantly do the Gungans have intelligence? Don't they live? <laughs> Don't they, wait. First of all, first of all, I wish I could sit down and precept and go. You know what, Mister Chowdhury? So Datakin's interesting and all, but I feel like we're not paying attention to the text. So in Paradise Lost, like, 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 like first of all, I wish I could do that shit. Second of all, I'm pretty sure they understand that the Gungans are intelligent. In fact, they barter with them and have like complex political dealings with them on Naboo. It's us as a fandom of Star Wars that hate the Gungans because they're stupid and they're also a racist allegory. So yes. I feel like you're taking yeah. a little bit of some extra actual knowledge, Mr. I White. I actually disagree with that. Um, I was talking about the Trade Federation, actually, and how they completely... You never fucking... The... Well, I That's said they, which I guess could be misconstrued, but I, I'm really... You just concerned. said, why don't they think the Gungans... <laughs> <laughs> so my bigger concern there is that the Trade Federation pretends that they're not civilized beings. They give them no credit for being tactically or, well, capable of anything. Seems well, like if it's I remember a... correctly, according to the movie, they really didn't expect there to be um, at least the Trade Federation. Obviously, I can't really talk about the rest of the uh, the Oresteia, if you will. <laughs> uh, we haven't gotten to those texts yet, but at least at this point in the sort of political landscape, war was never really in, like the possibility conflict was supposed to be avoided. The Trade Federation sort of had a stranglehold on Naboo, the humans of Naboo. Uh, so I don't necessarily think it's because they didn't think the Gungans were intelligent. It's that the Gungans weren't their focus. So when they started mobilizing troops, it feels just like a tactical error on their part that they didn't think the Gungans would do anything. It's also oh. possible that, you know, given the political context there, the Gungans did not actually have a representative in the Senate. Fuck. Yes, no, that's, that's yeah. actually true, though. I don't that's think any of the other races besides the Naboo knew the Gungans existed. Yeah, there's actually a, a scene that I remember from the movie where they, um, one of the either droids or of the two uh, Trade Federation people say um, that they are investigating um, rumors of an underwater city. Um, so they don't, so before that moment when they have taken over Naboo, they have no idea that the Gungans are actually there on the planet. The, the reason why they land and they go to Naboo in the first place is for the political dealings that they have to try to oust Chancellor Valorum, if I am remembering correctly. Because again, unfortunately, the text has this sort of Kantian way of obfuscating a lot of what's going on that causes things to happen. Uh, I really only paid attention to one scene at the end, so <laughs> that's on me. <laughs> But I, I think the answer to your question, Mr. Wright, is not necessarily, again, collecting what everybody has sort of said, that they 
don't have intelligence or that they're not regarded as intelligent by the trade federation but they're just not the focus and the trade federation doesn't even really know that they're there yeah on the on the subject of the gungans i i do i did have a question i want to ask is um this regards to the battle uh between the gungans and droids right it's how are we um well, this is supposedly in an advanced civilization with advanced technology. Why is it still being fought as if this was the 17th century a battle against French and uh, the Englishmen on a field um, with all your troops laid out in a line? Uh, that seems incredibly ineffective given the mass weapons destruction that are fielded as well. So, again, if I remember correctly, like I, I cannot stress enough... The political situation on Naboo and just in the inner rim as a whole, um, war isn't supposed to happen yet. Like there, there isn't supposed to be conflict. They were just putting troops on the ground to just like weirdly forcefully occupy Naboo, uh, and so the the Gungans kind of bushwhacked them with the whole shield generator shit. Oh. I thought Mr. Lee's bigger question is why are they actually still using such like archaic tactics? I don't, I don't know, man. That's actually yeah, something that, I've like yeah. thought about because like I watch Star Wars and they have like such cool stuff, and then it's like oh, so like they they're still using like just like guns and I guess lightsabers don't count because the Jedi are special, but like there's such rudimentary tactics used in battle as you as you see in other uh, texts on this subject matter. Uh, another planet, um, and I, it seems like it's it could potentially just be uh, that techno that warfare almost looped back in on itself to being once again rudimentary. Is this the I, next evolution in the spirit? Is what I'm asking. Are we oh, meant to Lord. repeat? What? What? I, you don't like me quoting uh, Hegel, no, no, Mister I love it. I love it. Actually, do, I just do, wasn't okay. expecting it yet. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, do deny how inefficient ineffective these battles are being carried out is to deny what each civilization has gone through up till now to get to that point you you know we cannot have technological advancement without civilized advance culture cultural advancement sorry i, th I think i got lost here um, <laughs> which side of of the battle of naboo are we talking about the, both sides the, both the, sides Federation or the Duncan? well if we're to consider the Gungans technologically advanced but not culturally advanced, why did the droids, the Federation, meet them on their own terms in an open battlefield? Well, I don't, I don't think that the Gungans are as technologically advanced as we're saying they are. Uh, I think, or whatever technology they did develop, developed in order to live underwater and in order to um, to preserve. Their society. If I could quote the text um, for a second, Jar Jar Binks says to Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi, um, "Exa squeeze me, but the most gracious <laughs> place would be Gunga City, where I grew up. Tis a hidden city." So that I think it's obvious that you know the Gungan society is hidden. It's. Um, <laughs> It's kept away from the rest of the galaxy. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna bring that point up because I think the Gungans' technology—they're not really a warlike people, at least where they are now. Naboo isn't a planet that really needs that. To be honest with you, 
just because of where it's situated and how like civilized it is and the sort of delicate coexistence that exists between like everybody on the planet the trade federation is a sort of disrupting factor there it's it's just weird to me you know that you there are weapons if i remember correctly were catapults and <laughs> four-legged be- beings how is this adapted for sea warfare or naval warfare again i don't know if warfare was really the focus though well, but, like, that's, what I'm saying. that's what i'm saying is like the the like things that they were throwing at the droids from the catapults were like emp plasma balls that like yeah. if i'm remembering the like canon correctly that is why naboo is so rich just as a planet is because it has a bunch of plasma reserves that is the pit that darth maul falls into at the end of the movie that is where they are is they're in like the like refining core plasma reactor area um so they're using what's around them in a sort of like i'm hesitant because like you mentioned it is just 17th century agincourt on a flat plane but they're using (laughs) what is around them in a sort of guerrilla style way to fight an enemy they didn't expect to be there it's just strange that these weapons were developed for clearly land uses maybe the gungans tried to fight the humans at one point and they needed to go so i what here's i actually i think i have what may be an answer to this question in that uh qui-gon jinn says that the gungans and the naboo had been oh actually obi-wan says that they've been living in a symbiotic relationship for quite some time now so what i believe at least is that uh they didn't that maybe a long long time ago they fought, but these weapons ended up falling into disuse because ever since they stopped fighting and began living peacefully together, there had been no war on Naboo. So they never felt the need to develop further because of their hidden city versus the, uh, the Naboo who had to interact with like the galaxy on an on, like, intergalactic level. They needed to have weapons because, well, they had to worry about like space warfare. The, the Gungans had no need to progress further because of this newly established peace, and that just lasted until this point. I feel like, can I, can I turn my attention again? I, the, this is very funny that I ask this because I literally mentioned before we started recording, I didn't do this part of the reading, but I remember it. Um, <laughs> I would like to ask a sort of different question uh, in a much, much later, or I guess earlier part of the movie, um, <clears throat> when they land on Tatooine to fix the ship and get parts from Watto, that riveting and vibrant character from Lucas's <laughs> mind, um, Anakin is, I believe, like nine years old, right? Yeah. He's a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why, why him and Padme? So At that current time, I forget. Uh, Padme is fourteen. Oh man! Specifically, yeah. So there's a five-year age difference. That's still weird. It is very so weird. Still weird. As weird as and that is. I looked, it up, I looked it up. I believe it's um the it, when you see them in the second movie, um, they are uh nineteen and twenty-four respectively. I ah uh, okay okay yeah. So while I think it may be worth noting as uh, strange as that is, uh, it is uh, heavily suggested that there's no uh, romantic interest at the time 
That's fair. That develops later fair. in their lives. It's merely she's that's fair. sympathy for a child who is moving away from his long-term home. If, if I may, can I quote a uh, later reading that hopefully we will get to um, in this precept? But um, when they meet again, when they are respectively 19 and 24, he, uh, she goes, Annie, you've grown. And he says, you've grown too, Padme. More beautiful, I mean. Uh, so yeah, that might be where the romance starts in that. Because they hadn't seen each other for fucking dialogue. Effectively, the entire time between this reading and the next reading, that entire time period, they were That's fair. That's very fair. That's very fair. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Thank you. And like, you know, I'm going to defend the dialogue between these two at least because A, Anakin grew from being a child slave with very few friends to being just a sheltered Jedi, right? Obviously, this is in the future readings, and I'm not allowed to bring it up yet. But as we know, in this movie alone, that the Jedi Council does not like emotion at all. That's very fair. They sense and, a lot of fear in him. Right. And Padme, on the other hand, is a queen who whose best friend is a handmaiden that usually takes her place and then uh, gives her orders as if she's the handmaiden, which yeah. is a strange relationship that I won't go into because I don't know how to. And... Yeah, she is not used there, to talking there, to nor- normal human beings. There is a weird political chicanery thing because the point is like Valorum is supposed to get ousted and Padme or like the queen at the time is supposed to be put in power because she's 14. So the Trade Federation is trying to like make her into like sort of like one of those Chinese puppet emperors kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. so they can leverage the like money from Naboo to fund a bunch of other shit to petition for the rest of the interim parties to lift uh, taxation on the mid rim. Um, but that again is all sort of very, very extra textual knowledge from a novel that we haven't read. So can I just introduce, this has nothing to do with the conversation we're having right now, except that it's part <laughs> of the Phantom Menace. Um, dude, Padme's outfits as being like a royalty are so fucking good. Yes. Did yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, the other Naboo Royal outfits. Oh, they're so elaborate. They're so good. Wears those elaborate outfits and the face painting and the hairdos so that the senators in the Galactic Senate won't look down on her because she's a child and instead will look up at her as interest royal. Mm-hmm. Huh. I guess on the topic of like, I guess looking down on things and fear, I, Anakin. I feel like is its central character that we have spent, <laughs> I think, like thirty minutes not talking about. Um, That's sorry, okay. Did transition render it as Anakin because mine renders it as Annie. God fucking! Da- yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, <laughs> Annie. That's right. Okay, yeah, Annie. Um, so, do you think Annie. that's a reference to the orphan girl Annie from? The- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So I feel like. Anakin's own mental state in this, like, I guess subconsciously, underneath the guise of this, like, child is fear. I mean, he just he got separated from his mother. He's in a world he doesn't know, and he's just been told he's super important to everything. Just like the galaxy as a whole is kind of in fear right now, because the there's a war on the horizon, um, and things are looking bad. Do we think that there's any sort of poetic correlation between the sort of main character of the prequel trilogy and how like things are going right now? Is there any sort of interplay between the two? Do you mean is there a sort of a sort of path 
that Anakin takes from, I don't know, let's say fear leading to anger, anger leading to hatred, hatred leading to suffering? No, yeah, I, yes, 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 mm, yes. He's a bombat. That's a different character. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, no, I guess, like, is this the fear stage for both the galaxy and for Anakin? And then with the war that starts in the next sort of installment in the trilogy, you get the anger stage, right? And then as the war comes to a close and Anakin completes his... Uh, spo spo spoiler alerts, Anakin is Darth fucking Vader. Um, the, like, as Anakin completes his apotheosis into a Sith Lord, is that the sort of again very on the nose like meeting of metaphor and reality do like is that does that seem like it could track mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you know it's it's not too um it's not too out there to make the make the jump because uh we've all seen the incredible poster for this movie where anakin is standing and the sun is shining on him and the shadow is cast the shadow of darth vader mm -hmm. the villain mm -hmm. we all know right Sorry, the two sons of Tatooine? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I guess, I guess, because I guess in this way, people look at Anakin and go, well, like, it's just a kid. Like, I sense a lot of fear in him. How can he be the chosen one? He's so young. Just like they look at the war that's on the horizon and the things that the Trade Federation are doing. Like, again, blockading a very peaceful planet, Naboo, and going, oh, there's no way this is going to kick off in a war. There's nothing wrong here. And there's that sort of weird illusion that so, ultimately ends up looking like the same illusion that the Jedi are under. So I'd like to highlight your uh, use of like, this being a uh, fear. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to like, and that, that quote so elegantly brought up by Mr. Rosenberger. As uh, I think that in future readings, we'll, we'll want to pay attention to that, especially because uh, in the next one we see, uh, again, I don't want to get into too much, but uh, anger is uh, very highlighted, I want to say. Yeah, Obi-Wan does get the shit kicked out of him by Jango Fett. That made me pretty angry um, to see. But uh, with, uh, with anger being so highlighted there, uh, I think that fear really is uh, the focus. It's even in the title, The Phantom Menace. Um, there's this strange uh, alien Darth Maul who is, seems to be this specter of fear following around our uh, protagonist. Uh, it really is, like as you said, that, that uh, sense of being alone. Like in, this is not just Anakin, it's Obi-Wan. He's uh he loses his mentor and all of a sudden has to go into this strange new uh new existence of teaching this Padawan. You just pointed out something to me that I I didn't under I didn't think I understood until now, Mister Wright. But you know when you pointed out that that the Sith are the Phantom Menace, I was trying to understand how Darth Maul lost, and that's because he was double blocked by two creatures. <laughs> 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 no, how could he? Oh, oh. So they just bounced off of each other because he has double strike. He's a double bladed fucking lightsaber. No, Actually, no, no, no. That's how he got Qui Gon. Double strike isn't first strike is implicit in double strike. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, he did kill. Yeah, he would have killed Yeah. Oh shit. Oh my god. Oh my god. Why does this check out? <laughs> <laughs> That's almost like the combat in magic the gathering is at least in spirit meant to emulate the combat in real life that we see in this fictional movie with energy laser swords 
That would mean though, like that, like Qui Gon Jinn has a three one, and like Obi Wan Kenobi is a seven seven. And is Obi Wan Kenobi not a fucking seven seven? Obi Wan Kenobi is a giant out of face. Shit on by Count Dooku, and then shit on by Count Dooku. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Count it's Dooku a lot has of, menace, uh, I'm sorry. It's a, lot of, uh, it's a lot of, uh, uh, you know. It's a lot of references. Rep- yeah, sorry, my bad, my bad. We gotta we got reel it back in, we gotta reel it back in. Yeah. But I, I yeah. do think that, like, Paul is onto something. Again, it, uh, it might be a little bit on the nose, and it might be kind of stupid for us to be like, ooh, this is imagery that we've noticed. But the Sith being the Phantom Menace and generating, and I believe Max, or not, Mr. Wright, also pointed this out. Like the Sith being this like shadowy phantom menace that is like causing all these things to happen, and everybody is unsure of what to do. When you're afraid, you hesitate sometimes, and the Jedi Council almost wants to refuse to believe that the Sith have returned until they're presented with proof. I I think I'd go as far as to say they do want to refuse. They uh pretty uh pretty explicitly like. For uh, the most of the movie, until Darth Maul actually killed Qui-Gon, they actively uh, told uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn that it must be something else. They told them to keep an eye out for it. But that, too, is just expressing fear and fear in the unknown. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know if that's fear. I, I, it feels like it is, in a sense, this sort of poetic irony of the arrogance of the Jedi because of the like the fact that i i always found it very funny that they're they point out this fear in anakin and that is what is going to prevent him throughout his entire career as a jedi from ever really achieving the rank of master <laughs> but <laughs> i don't i don't know if i don't know if the, the the i guess this is my sort of issue with claiming very authoritatively that it is fear is it feels like there's a lot of arrogance that is also playing in their the pride uh, the Jedi have at this point remained this bastion of peace and they're peacekeepers, but they're also these sort of figureheads. Um, they have to maintain this image of composure that has sort of gone to the heads of the council. I believe that is most reflected in Mace Windu and Kiati Mundi, the two lines of dialogue he has, but fuck him. Yeah, yeah. Let's right attack on the Wookiee. Well, <laughs> that's, that's later on, Mr. Wright. You shouldn't bring that up yet, but uh, what I want to bring up is the the mythicizing of the Jedi as a whole. Taking this movie on its own, on uh, as like um the the start of the prequel, right? The the Jedi Order made its first appearance here in mainstream media, mm-hmm. right? And it's not it's it's not fleshed out yet. You know, we don't have the five hundred bajillion extended universe books or anything. What I want to talk about is um right. We have a child's conception of what a Jedi should be compared to, um, and we also have Qui-Gon's like sort of doubt in the, in the council, which is like heavily implied that he doesn't agree with what they're doing at all. Right. Um, and also there's this one fucking scene at the beginning where the droidicas just show up and somehow these two Jedis just fucking dragonborn thum right down the hallway. I don't know if it's because of the <laughs> oh, yeah, that Master, destroy us. And then they just fucking zoom down the hall. Oh, like, I, know, yeah. I remember. 
Yeah. I thought it was just the bootleg version I was no, watching, no, but no. No, no, no. Where are those Like, what the fuck are the Jedi's powers? Because the majority of it is just like, it's just pushing droids backwards so that they fuck. The force, it lets you do anything, dog. Bad hygiene lets you do anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the myth of, like, this, that's, uh, you're on, like, that's the thing, is the Jedi have sort of done a Kanye West where they started believing in their own myth. They haven't needed to do anything to protect the galaxy for, at this point, I think, like, millennia. So um, I actually have a direct uh, answer to that question. Or, so you're definitely right, and it's a millennia. It's actually a little bit more egregious than that. It's, it's It has, in fact, been uh i believe a thousand years but um it's it's more than just wait it's yeah it's, it's more than how did i just cut this whole shit out i actually just had a stroke and forgot what you said no we I leave it in, leave it in. <laughs> no <laughs> what did you say say it again <laughs> i had an actual stroke no. <laughs> for live updates from the political scene we go to mr right <laughs> <laughs> space political scene oh i remember it now um no i don't ah I didn't what see. the fuck was that? okay moving on from that shit show that yeah. we're leaving in oh. can we talk about how racist this movie is i tried to get into that by saying that the gungans were a racist allegory but yeah we yeah. can yes yeah sure Gungan. It's really not just the Gungans. No, uh, the Kato Nemodians are racist too. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. towards Asian people. Yep. Um, the Gungans are obviously a very tasteless allegory for uh, African American people. Uh, I mean, realistically, Watto is also a pretty anti-Semitic uh, imagery. He yeah. is an imagery. Yeah, he's oh, an image. Shut yeah. up, Max. You're, you just no, had a stroke and you're no criticizing right. me for saying no something. Right. Okay, Max. I take time out of my fucking day to record this with you. This fucking, alright? And all you can do is criticize me for the mistakes that I make. But I'm, trying to, I'm trying to boost you up, King. I'm trying to boost you up by saying we leave in your fuck-ups. Alright? We leave it in. No. <laughs> come here on the day of my daughter's fucking wedding, Max. I don't know, Sam. It sounds like he's spending a lot of life energy just to be here. <laughs> <laughs> how many yeah, minis do you have? Left? How, many, you have mini- how many minis? <laughs> but yeah, no, Watto is definitely a very tasteless allegory, especially the fact that like his occupation falls in line with a lot of racist stereotypes towards Jewish people. Uh, it feels like there was a gas leak in the LucasArts headquarters. Um, and fucking George Lucas's like Nazi persona, Herr Lucas, came out. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, he just decided that he was gonna make like the most thinly veiled racist shit. <laughs> like, who storyboarded the Gungans? And then who said, yeah, that's okay to put in a movie? <laughs> he walks were pretty ambiguous. The Wookiees, ah, those were kind of problematic. But like, come on, how do you draft up fucking? How do you go? Yeah, so you know, like fucking Asian people. What if we made like an alien race that is 
every negative stereotype about them. And then we'll also have this dude named Watto. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what more to say about it. It's a really problematic movie. It, it's, just, it's, it's just a little bit of a yikes. Like, it actually somehow only gets more problematic once you get to the Geonosians and the like language of the Geonosians and like the context with which they live. Oh yeah, I mean, really didn't think that action. through. Though uh, they didn't have to think of some things through, considering that uh, they had there's some there's some points in this movie that are so this is this is a uh, the the author wrote this text. Uh, after um, the text that it's supposed to happen before. It's so a there's some. You could just say that it's a prequel, Mr. Wright. <laughs> Why did you that. have to say it like that? <laughs> it's just a <laughs> Look, I'm dying, okay? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's some elements of it that seem uh, both a little forced and a little pandery. And I think that somehow uh, Jar Jar Binks seems to fill in both so the the romance between padme and anakin while not fully uh, blossomed yet is one of them but i think that the other side of the coin uh pandery because the original text came out uh, a long time ago is they need to appeal to a new generation and that is, seems to be one of the reasons why jar jar was included um there's a footnote that i've, I've seen uh, cited that jar jar was included uh to appeal to children and sell children's toys, though that does seem to have uh, massively backfired. Yeah, kids think that racism is pretty funny, so... Because I, I know what you mean, where Jar Jar is supposed to be, like, the comedic relief, and he, like, gets his tongue stuck in the fucking, like, engine on Tatooine, and he's all funny and shit. But also, and again, I don't fucking care at this point, so I'm gonna just bring up the fact that, like, it was left up to him... Uh, to make the most influential vote in all of galactic history pre the Battle of Yavin. So how's that for your comedic relief, Mr. Wright? Up to Jar Jar. Representative Binks. Representative Binks. <laughs> 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 I think you're having a laugh at my expense. Seriously. I mean, I, I that's what I'm saying, though. Like, that's what I'm trying to imply to Mr. Wright, is that you see throughout his character progression throughout the rest of the fucking series that he ends up making very serious decisions and is debatably the main antagonist of the whole series. <laughs> no! If you are to believe certain predators. A Sith Lord. No way. He is a bomb bad general. <laughs> <laughs> that is just a Busta Rhymes lyric, Mr. Rosenberger. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, like, that's the thing, is if he was supposed to be a comedic relief character, then why was he made a representative that then actually just sort of serves a background role in the rest of, like, whatever space politics are oh, shoehorned in? I would go as far as say he serves a background role because people hated his guts. But... Well, the original script for uh, some of these movies were named Jar Jar's Grand Adventure as a reference to that, so <laughs> I don't know, man. Though I will say that in in regard to the uh, the shoehorn in space politics, um, would you say that they exist purely to give uh, almost a MacGuffin esque uh, purpose for the plot to progress? I can certainly to... attest to the fact that it sounds like you are putting your mic up your asshole, but also, <laughs> but also, hold on, hold on, hold on. How could you? How are you? You're saying 
So, like, the plot exists just for the- <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I mean that it's, it's like... <laughs> so, no, 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 I know, I know where, where Mr. Max and Mr. Wright is going. <laughs> death, just to, like, you know, get Hamilton back in Denmark. <laughs> no, I think what Mr. Wright is referring to is the sort of incestuous storyline that every trilogy of star wars has gone for where oh it turns out it's just these collective families that are involved in the oh, story so it's just naruto now <laughs> <laughs> yes oh, okay and no, I'm kidding, I'm this politics that we get with the phantom menace is honestly the only time where we're not dealing with the bullshit of the skywalker family i mean again you have like but that's the thing right uh, is, I feel like that the shoehorning in wasn't necessarily like a narrative device. It was the fact that Lucas wanted to take the series in a different direction because ultimately we know, like, it's sort of like that's like, you know, like you kind of know what you're getting into when you read a book titled Oedipus at Colonus, right? Or like yeah. the series no, called no, tell The Order. in the Star Wars where Skywalker is. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, right? Right, hear me out, okay? You understand going in, because you have watched the original trilogy, that this is the chronicling of the fall of Anakin, right? If you don't, then that that really, I can't help you. <laughs> I really can't help you there. Um, right, so that's the thing. But I feel like it was supposed to be framed in a different era, and he was trying to create something a little more, I think, like Mr. Wright pointed out, pandery, what was happening in America at the time and also just the fact that like this is a war and there is a political aspect to most wars um, and, and it is supposed to be a just different era of the galaxy there isn't one party that rules everything like the empire uh, so it, it feels like they're supposed to exist in parallel but that just doesn't work so there's one other thing I want to bring up, just uh, from, I guess, a story perspective, but also like a character perspective. So in, um, after, after the wars, after like, they're, they're occupied and queen, the queen flees, ostensibly this is Queen Padme Amidala, though, as we later learn, it's just her body double, um, is discussing with uh, Senator Palpatine uh, after, and, uh, how to get the Senate to act on this occupation. And uh, Senator Palpatine says that it's, um, it's in their best interest to have a vote of no confidence against their closest ally, the Supreme Chancellor Valorum, who had just volunteered to help them. Now, I, it, seeing as these characters are presented as the good guys, or in those we should root for, uh, are we really supposed to be able to root for such blatant backstabbing? What? Did you, like, did you, like watch the movie? I only watched this movie. Palpatine, Senator Palpatine seems like an upstanding gentleman, but it's portrayed that way. But here he's backstabbing Chancellor Valorum, who's been nothing but supportive of them. Actually, Chancellor Valorum has done jack shit for them because he can't get anything done in the Galactic Senate, and that's Palpatine's reason for a vote of no confidence. If you'd watch the fucking movie, Mr. Wright... I did watch the movie, but couldn't call just as much... I don't know. How's Pennsylvania gonna vote? Yeah, that matters. <laughs> so Chancellor of the uh, is just as capable of calling a special session as the previously the later elected Chancellor Palpatine would be. But uh, 
there's he can do it too. It's clearly just a power grab by the Senator Palpatine, who yeah, I mean, is being portrayed I, I think... as such an affable gentleman. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think I think what Mr. Wright is trying to imply here, having watched the movie in a vacuum, it seems very strange and almost as though there is a sort of phantom menace at play motivating a lot of the actions that happen on the political scene of this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that again if you were to take this movie in a vacuum there are some strange inconsistencies but even then it's pretty um easy to see uh what's going on maybe that's because i'm speaking in hindsight knowledge that you know spoilers but yeah i would say that it it is a power grab and that it is implying that there is something else going on we as a audience don't really know the true extent of things just like all of the characters but a select few in the movie do not understand the true extent of how fucked they are so everyone does end up well it, it definitely like i think like again the movie title does and off of what mr dietrich just said the movie title does really accurately portray the overall message or not message i guess just a major theme of the film and just like so many actions, even if they don't appear that way, on their like further inspection, are just so laden with just this ominous feeling of that there's something greater going on. Like this again, phantom menace. It's maybe they're just out of your periphery. Like something just seems off. That's sometimes, so sometimes they really are just out of your periphery. Like the scene in which um, <laughs> Darth Maul and Darth Sidious are on a balcony talking about how the Sith are going to get their revenge. And then mm -hmm. in the Darth Plagueis novel, you realize that Darth Plagueis is also in the same hotel room looking at them talk on the balcony, but you don't get to see that in the movie. <laughs> mm. But yeah, some, some of it is a little bit on the nose. Like uh, the one line of dialogue Darth Maul has where he's like, at last we will have our revenge. There's also uh, a scene from when they finally get off of Tatooine and um, come back to the Chancellor, or I guess not the Chancellor, but to Palpatine. Um, there's this really awkward scene where Palpatine stares at Anakin, and Anakin kind of looks back and then uh, looks at Padme. And in that moment, like you, you think I was I like I. I didn't know if it was supposed to be either a foreshadowing or only something that you were able to catch if you knew what the twist was supposed to be in later installments. It's just very strange. It's just so uh, there's one thing I want to return to. Uh, back when um I had an actual aneurysm, um I was trying to come to a specific point that I, it seemed again a little bit similar to this in that um how much of this. How many? How much of like the current state of the galaxy is built on, and I guess just phantom stability? Like it seems like everything's going okay, that everything is about to. It's like it's very like unstable ground and could fall apart at any time. Um, uh, Mr. Dietrich had brought up that, especially the Jedi, uh, in regard to them, there's they've gotten complacent and have basically bought into their own Kanye West myth that they're effectively gods. Uh, so when, when um, Qui-Gon Jinn is talking to a young Anakin, 
uh, Anakin says that he thinks that Jedi are invincible uh, before they fight Maul, of course. And Qui-Gon says that I wish that were true. And Anakin looks shooketh by this. He looks very disturbed. And it seems like Obi-Wan also looked very surprised. He clearly had also been drinking that exact same Kool-Aid because uh, going into the fight with uh, Darth Maul, he seemed just as confident as Anakin was that they would succeed. And then he watched his own mentor die. And that seems like it was like the beginning of the shattering of this phantom foundation of the galaxy that the Jedi are beginning to fall from their complacency. I mean, I think that's pretty correct. That's a pretty correct analysis of what's going on at large with just the... Yeah, just that, that seems right to me and the the jedi uh, i i don't i don't know what what are you what what is what does everyone think about this claim that the jedi sort of anchor the inner rim uh and they act as a figurehead so when members of that figurehead have to transition from peacekeepers to generals they start dying in the line of duty that's a really big disillusionment it's almost like you have to look at the phantom that was on your periphery now as an ordinary citizen um and you either have to further deify them into these war heroes, or you have to look at them and realize these are just people now. These are these are people like me who have who now have to go fight on the outer rim against clankers. Paul was going to say something, or Mr. Rosenberger. Sorry, I'm not used to referring to you by your last name because you're below me. I mean, you're a junior. <laughs> We're actually allowed to have this class with him. I don't know how Mr. Turner snuck into this preceptorial. Mr. Turner uh, graduated last year. Yeah, he actually uh, just graduated last year. That my point still stands. No, he jumped classes. Uh, yeah. some people get held back a year. He jumps a year. You know, like he showed <laughs> no, up to, he showed up it, to music too much. No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> Newton's third law for every person. <laughs> for every person that is pushed down a year, I go up a year. There's, there's like five alone in our class. <laughs> you should have graduated by now. Yeah. No, you should have gone through like three grad schools if that was the case. Yeah, I've just come back to just like I just came back here. They let Nick do that. Nick Nick really is like what a Jedi should have been. Nick's right? prestiging they him, the program. They let him come out of the undergrad and then go right into the graduate institute. Like <laughs> is actually the tutor of this preset. He is, actually. I don't know why uh, Mr. Rosenberger was allowed to ask the opening question. but uh, Because it's uh, Zoom uh, classes? Because no, we're going around in a circle, like, but kind of. No one else ended up going. And ask, each asking an open question it seems to be the tradition these days. Yeah, we're going around a circle, except that the circle begins and ends with me. The circle of me. I'm the only one who's ever asked an opening question for the precepts. <laughs> but anyway, back to Mr. Dietrich's point. Yeah, I, I think that becomes a major theme in Attack of the Clones. But something that I was struck by and surprised by is just how removed from the rest of the Orders of the Galaxy the Jedi are or seem to be in the Phantom Menace. Uh... The Viceroy of the Trade Federation is surprised that the ambassadors of the Supreme Chancellor are two Jedi Knights. Um, uh, Queen Amidala on Naboo 
is surprised to meet two Jedi. And those in the Outer Rim have never really seen a Jedi before. They only know about their fantastic laser swords. Um, and they seem to the myth of the Jedi. So that seems like an interesting point that I'd like to expand on in that I think part of the Jedi's effectiveness is because they haven't been challenged by an equal or rival like the Sith for so long. Just the name Jedi inspires enough fear that they barely need to do anything. Because, like, for example, when they board that ship, um, Newt Gunray and his advisors are uh, like immediately like, okay, we're screwed. We have to surrender. We can't do anything against two Jedi, despite being on a ship with a literal army on it. They were immediately about to surrender. And then the only reason they didn't was because they seemed to be more afraid of Palpatine. Or, oops, that's a spoiler. They afraid to be more afraid of this, this mysterious Darth Sidious um, than they are of the Jedi. Is the only reason they fight back. They were about to surrender just because two Jedi showed up on their ship. Like, it seems like just their reputation has gotten them this far. Yeah, it wasn't they until they got it. the guarantee that regional manager Maul was going to come down and help them that they kind of nutted up and tried to fucking gas the Jedi, apparently. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> They literally do in yes, the movie. They hold your breath, and then like they shoot into the room, and then they have the like cool first fight scene. I so, think yeah. that's uh that's all the time we have for today. Yeah, this has been the Five of Swords. Uh, we're gonna this have a the, so I, I will let you guys, you the listeners, know that supposedly the outline here that we have is that we will alternate episodes for the time being until we cover the prequels in precepts similar to this one. So this episode on release will be the Phantom Menace precept. Um, and then we'll have an episode of an unrelated topic. Uh, I believe we have the inimitable Mr. Black on next episode. Um, and then we will do an Attack of the Clones precept. And then we'll have an unrelated episode in between. And then we will have a Revenge of the Sith precept. I had a lot of fun talking about this. There's definitely okay. some shit that we need to review and cut out. <laughs> but it really does fit into the uh, theme that these movies are incredibly problematic. Yes. Uh, yeah, anybody have any parting words? Um, yeah, I recently rewatched uh, Happy Feet.